Welcome, Redeemed family and friends. Exciting today as we move forward in our quest to be nothing less than remarkable. You know, um, I'm wearing my University of Texas sweatshirt today because Kurt told me that the viewership's down a little bit and that we need to try to boost it. So I'm appealing to all my family and friends in Texas to see if we can bump this up about by seven people at least. But no, actually the reason I'm wearing my UT sweatshirt is because I'm going to share a story about something that took place while I was at the University of Texas in Austin. And I think it really bears on what we're trying to accomplish here as a church. So I was at UT and I was taking a creative writing class. And so you can imagine being at UT in Austin in this creative writing class with all these totally hip Texan guys. And I'm just sitting there not feeling uh, like I really fit in all that much. And so our first assignment, the professor says, I want you to come up with a line of poetry that is so powerful that it's going to engage a person from the very first line to the very last line. Whoever has the, the first line, you're going to win the assignment. And so I went home, I racked my brains, we all came back, and I had, I had felt really good about mine. It was my utmost for the innermost. I, I, man, it still feels a little good. Well, the guy who won wrote, the wild horse, the days, excuse me, the days run away like wild horses over the hills. And I mean, obviously he won. How do you even come up with something that good that days run away like wild horses over the hills or my utmost for, you know, the innermost. And then the guy, he did call me out. He said, and the guy who said uh, my utmost for the innermost actually did UP upmost instead of UT utmost. So he corrected me right there in front of the whole class. Wasn't a great start to a career in creative writing. Well, then I had a similar uh, thing happen to me later. Years later, I'm at seminary in California and I'm in a, uh, the sermon of the homiletics class. And the professor is this very prestigious man, Dr. Craig Skinner. He is Australian, amazing voice, amazing orator and writer. And so he says, I want you to come up with a title of your message that is so compelling that if there was a bunch of people on a tour bus going through your town and they saw your title on the church reader board, that they would all get off the bus and come listen to your message. And so the best title is going to win. So, I mean, I, I worked so hard at trying to come up with a great title. And so can you imagine I did the days run away like wild horses over the hills come in and here. The guy who won had this title and I, I can remember today. There's a bomb, get off the bus. And so, I mean, what a great title uh, to be able to get people off the bus and into a place of listening to a message. And today I'm sitting here thinking about this message. It's so important to me. It was so important to Christ. And I just don't feel like the title is going to do it justice last week. I mean, this is message number two from last week's, which is a great church. And the, the point of this really isn't the title. The point is that it's based on the very foundations of what Jesus said is at the core, the essence of a healthy church. And so I'm going to ask you if you would just work with me for a moment and, and think of this question. What makes a church great? If I, was at, if I was to ask you that, how would you answer? Is, is your answer tied to externals? Or eternals? Is it the, the fluffy, great message? Is it the uh, title? Is it a compelling thing that makes you want to come? Or is there something about it that touches you at the core in an eternal place? I'm convinced that church is literally about moving us from a place 
of the temporal realm to the eternal realm. And the eternal trumps the temporal every time. And so if we can really frame church for what it's meant to be, I believe it's compelling enough to make us want to start really living for that eternal realm. Well, I, uh, I'm going to acknowledge that last week's message, while it may not have been flamboyant, was very good. It, it's because it was straight from Scripture. It said that Jesus, when he started the church, he had this thing called a great commandment. And in that great commandment, he said, if you want to do life with me right, you've got to be able to, number one, love God, and number two, love others. And then we said the definition of the church is really Jesus at work in his people and his people at work in their community. And so in other words, we love him. He compels us to know him, to go deep with him. And then it causes us to want to go and transform our community. And of course, it completely uh, lines up with what we learned in the book of Colossians that said that the church, that Christians are supposed to be tra- uh, change agents for our community so that we can have hard conversations to transform them from a place of being alienated from God into a place of living for God. So if God really is loving on us and we're loving on each other, then let me ask you this question. Why do more people not come to church? This is, this is a tough question that I really believe we need to address. You see, I can understand people who don't believe in Jesus uh, not attending church. I mean, even if you don't believe there's advantages to going, there's people, there's programs, there's an opportunity to network, there's a chance to learn things that you might not uh, be able to come across outside of that context of going to a church. But the issue at hand for me isn't so much the unbelievers. My driving question is, Why is it that people who actually believe in Jesus still don't attend church? There are more people who do not attend church that believe in Christ than who attend church even though they believe in Christ. And so something is not working. And my my sense is that either the church is not being as relevant as we need to be to really uh, meet uh, individuals, uh, to cause them to really want to grow, or individuals really don't want to grow and so they don't see the need to attend. And so what I'm wanting to make sure that we understand today is that I am not trying to get anybody signed up to attend church. I'm not trying to say, hey, we should throw a better party, then maybe they'll attend. I'm not saying that we need to make them feel shamed or get them to increase their level of a commitment so that they'll attend. It's not about attending. It is about what can we do to help individuals be transformed Formed from one state to a whole new state to where they really know the heart and the depth of Christ, where we carry the, not only just the message of Jesus, but the life of Jesus into our communities. If we at Redeem can help move in that direction, I believe that we're going to be able to do something truly remarkable. And so we're about uh, what one of our elders called going deep. We're about going deep right now in this period, which means we've got to learn how to make disciples. And what we're going to see today is that in the Great Commission, so you have the Great Commandment, love God and love others. Then you have what Jesus calls the Great Commission, which is he said, this is what I really want to make sure you do, that you make disciples and you go into all the world and I'm going to be with you in that process. And so discipleship is going to be at the core of what it takes to really be able to make a difference in our lives because we learn as we go, but also in the lives of others. I remember that uh, for about three years I was working uh, 
uh, in a program with IBM and school districts utilizing Watson technology to help create a curriculum that was uh, based at a personal level for students. And it was really a fascinating opportunity, but the first thing that we needed to do was to go in there and actually capture the climate of that school, the culture and the climate of the school. And so what we did is we developed a questionnaire to be able to discover what the voice of the students were in terms of their feelings about the culture of the school. And so we asked uh, 10 questions, but was, what was interesting is that the very first question that we asked is, what motivated you to come to school today? And 90% of the people, of the students, answered it the same. They said, to see our friends. It wasn't to get a great education. It wasn't to get prepared for life. It was to see our friends. Now, interestingly, and, and kind of encouraging, uh, the second answer was to get an education, but only 10% of the people said education. 90% of these real students uh, felt the most motivated to go to school because they wanted to be with their friends. So if I was to ask us to the individuals who are attending church, why do you go? Is it so that you can become discipled, become a great follower of Christ? Or is it more likely just to be with our friends, to be connected with people who care about us? Friends, what I'm saying, it's both and. It shouldn't be a 90-10. Maybe at some points it is a 90-10. But at some point, we need to love the people we're with and we need to love being challenged by them so that we can be transformed into the likeness of Christ. In other words, we need to be discipled. And so even think about uh, your physical bodies. If we wanted to uh, join a gym and try to go from being not quite into shape into being into great shape, you go to the gym, this is what they would do. They'd put you on a scale and then they would develop a diet and exercise program that would make you lift weights and lose weight. That's what they'd be doing. And yet, you know, what they wouldn't be doing is they'd say, they wouldn't say, you know, what we want you to do is just come and listen to some podcasts on diets. And then we want you to buy some exercise gear and some vitamin supplements. And then we want you to watch the workout on the big screen. I'm pretty sure that's not what's going to be said. They're going to say, it is time to roll up your sleeves and get to work. The more effort you put in, the more you're, you know, you're going to see in terms of an outcome. At the gym that I was a member of a few years ago, they actually had a sign on the wall that said, that's not sweat, that's your fat crying. I mean, come on, I love that. That made sense to me. I'm not going there to have little beads of perspiration on my forehead. I'm going to make my body cry so I can get this thing in shape. That's what it's about. When you go to church, friends, it's not so people can pat us on the back and we sit there and listen to pretty good song service, maybe even a pretty good message and story and, and then maybe make a donation to help. That's not really it. We're going so that we can be changed. We're going so that our perspectives get modified as they collide with the truth of God and that the believers, our fellow uh, Christians, are able to challenge us to, as the Bible says, to spur us on to love and good deeds and, and to really be at a place of accountability with them. That's what I'm looking for, and I think that's what it means to go deep. And Jesus is going to uh, give us insight on that. I want to invite you to read with me again. This is going to be Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. It's called the Great Commission. And just to put it in context, this is Jesus, and he's getting ready to leave planet crazy. And as he's leaving, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, this is what you need to know 
and this is what you need to do. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here we see, I know it seems basic. It doesn't seem all that, you know, fancified. It doesn't sound like a great sentence. The wild horse is running away. It sounds like make disciples and go. It's that straightforward. And I think the hard part is that we now have to say whether, whether this sounds exciting or not, we know it's the plan. There is no plan B. There, this isn't, hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't you make some disciples and then try going when it's convenient? This is in the eris imperative. It is in the command tense. And then it's even in the uh, mood of being what's called a middle voice, which says that it is a, an activity that he's going to share in with us. And so it's not something that is an option. It's not something that we're to do on our own. It's something that he's inviting us through a command to join in with him and do. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when he was at uh, the well on his way to Samaria. And so in John chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is with his disciples. He's going from Jerusalem, and he's heading through Samaria, and he stops at this well, and it's called Jacob's Well. And as he stops, his disciples go into town to look for some food. And so he's just standing there and waiting, and at some point, uh, you know, a woman comes up, and she's... she's uh, spoken of as the woman at the well. So she comes up with a, a bucket or a jar to draw some water, and Jesus sees her, and he says, give me a drink. And again, it's in the same tense and voice. It's not like, hey, I'm wondering if it's not an option. He's actually engaging her. Give me a drink. Do this. Because I want to join in a conversation with you. I want to participate in this moment. And what's interesting, and I love this story, um, she says, well... Why are you, a Jewish man, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because that's not the way it works. And Jesus looks at her and he says, If you really knew who I was, it's not about me being a Jewish man speaking to a woman. It's about the fact that you're speaking to Messiah. And if, if you really knew that, you wouldn't ask, who, who are you speaking to me? You'd actually ask, would you give me salvation? Would you give me water to where I will never thirst again. Will you let me drink from the eternal springs of life versus just this water out of this well? So they're having this type of a conversation and she's, she's not really buying into it at the beginning. And she says, well, you know what? That's interesting that you believe that you're the Messiah. So where should we worship? And so she makes it again about as if it's a place instead of what Jesus says, I'm looking for true, true followers. People who can worship me in spirit and truth. I'm not looking for a place, a facility. I'm looking for your heart. That's what he tells her. And then she's, you know, being kind of snarky. And he says, you know what? Why don't you go get your husband and we'll talk more, basically. And she says, well, I have no husband. He says, well, now you're telling the truth because you actually have had five and the one that you're with now isn't even your legal husband. And then everything stops. Now what he's doing is he's forcing her to get real. She doesn't get to talk about all the little surface stuff anymore. She doesn't get to be snarky. She actually has to look at this and go, wow, this man knows me. He knows me. And in having that conversation, uh, 
she puts her bucket down and she just leaves. About that time, the disciples show up and they see that he'd been speaking with her and they don't even want to ask him, why were you talking to that lady? And so they're wondering it, but they don't ask. And then all of a sudden you see this whole town uh, starting to head back towards the well. And Jesus says to his disciples, you know, you, uh, you're not really seeing what's taking place in this moment. What's really happened here is that it's not about food. It's not about our physical needs. It's about an opportunity to impact an individual for eternity. That's what I'm doing here. And they're sitting there thinking, well, I mean, we thought you needed food. We're trying to give you all this stuff. He goes, hey, this isn't the time for me to worry about earthly food. This is the time to do the Father's work. And then he even says, look, the, the, look around you. The fields are white for harvest. Look at the people coming. And sure enough, the people come and then they say, we believe, after listening to him, they say, we believe you are the savior of the world. And they ask him to stay for a couple of days and he does. And then all of a sudden, that little event that could happen at Jacob's well, where it could have been a person physically getting a drink of water and giving away a drink of water, turns into an opportunity for people to come to know the truth of God. Other people missed who Jesus was. This woman did not because she stayed in the discussion with Christ and he moved her to a place of understanding. So what I'm suggesting to you is that if we're going to really come to that uh, opportunity that we have to become a disciple, we're going to have to want to go after what's real, not after the stuff. So I like to think of it in terms of a bucket. So she brings a bucket, and in that bucket she can get water. Jesus then offers her the water of eternal life. Now, can you see the difference between the, the bucket of Jesus and the bucket of the woman at the well? And Jesus says, I'm going to get to you from my bucket. And what's so fascinating is when you and I have an opportunity to receive from the Lord, he does pull things out of his bucket. I mean, he can give us the, the earthly things. He, he cares about the water that we have. He cares about food. The disciples wanted to buy food. That was good. But that wasn't the real point. The real point is it's time to get to work, even if it means missing a meal. That's what it really meant. And so discipleship counts the cost. And it says, I want to, I want to be committed to growing in Christ more than meeting my physical needs, more than having to focus on that which is going to be able to um, bring me pleasantries or comfort on planet crazy. This bucket that Jesus drew from, I just want you to know, it changed everything and this is how it works. When he pulls things out of his bucket, this is what's in it. The things that are in it is a clarity of what's really going on. It moves us from a place of misunderstanding to a place of truly understanding. And that is the beginning of moving in the right direction. So watch how it works when we want to grow in discipleship. I'm going to give you the ABCs. A is that you're going to have to come to a point, not just wanting to be discipled, but A is growing in the Word of God and being able to hear His voice. There is a difference between um, being able to read the Bible and to really lean into it and be changed by it. I've heard the Bible used to substantiate things that aren't even true. I've heard people say, hey, I'm quoting scripture, and they weren't. They were qu quoting Benjamin Franklin or someone else. I've heard people say that the Bible's not accurate. Uh, friends, the Bible is accurate. I've read it from cover to cover. I've read it in both languages. It's amazing how accurate the Bible is. 
And the reason people say that is because they don't want to line up to what it says. There are things in it that are hard to read, but if you'll read the whole book and you're all in and you're willing to read it from cover to cover, not a proof text or trying to prove things to people or get your way, if you're really trying to read it so that you can transform your life to what it says, it's an amazing, incredible, God-inspired book. And not only that, uh, it is hard to understand. And I've heard people say it's so complicated. You have an internal guide called the Holy Spirit that will help us walk through it. So that's a accept God's word as true. Listen to his voice and become a true student of it. Take your time. It is going to change your life. It warrants a lifetime of study. Then the B is learn to unpack your stuff. And when I say unpack your stuff, friends, we all have some stuff in our backpacks that are of value to the kingdom and that are holding us back from a kingdom life. We need to be able to go to God and say, hey, would you sort through this stuff with me? And if there's things in my life that are counterproductive to living for you, I need your help with them. I need you to help me identify them. And then I need you to help move them out of the way to where they're not even a temptation for me. And so I love it when we can go to God and ask him to unpack our stuff. I would suggest to you that some of the things that he wants to unpack are things like wounds. We've all been hurt. We've all gone through struggles. We've all even had some of our dreams dashed. God is willing to deal with our hurts and our pains just as much as he is our shortcomings and our sins. He wants to unpack that. He wants to be able to move us to a place of really being healthy. I call it inner healing. We need to be around other believers who can walk with us through life and help us to get healthy. And then the the C is simply chart out a course or be committed to change. You really need to say that in my life, I expect to change. I shouldn't be the same today as I was yesterday. His loving kindnesses and his mercies are new every morning. He is setting us up to change, to grow, to become the best version of ourselves. And that's what it's really about. And yet if we ignore that, or if we go to the other bucket, the bucket the world has to offer, friends, it's not going to create eternal change. Earthly stuff brings earthly outcomes. Eternal life changes our physical life. It causes us to grow. And that's what it's about. And here's how simple it is. We said that being uh, uh, aligned, to the Great Commission is about making disciples. That was number one. Number two, it's about going. Friends, if we will grow, which is that seed, be willing to change. If we will grow, we will be going. That's how it works. It's fascinating that in Greek, you're gonna see that the going here is like a, a participle and it's tied to this imperative command, but as you go, as you are going, do this. And so it's a part of our everyday life. Church is not a weekly service. It's not a place that we go. It's not a sanctuary where we hide from the, how bad the world is. Church is human beings like you and like me, literally being changed because we've touched the heart of God, so much so that we're willing to find out whatever we have that has value and give it away to people who need it. That's what it means to unpack. That's what it means to go. That's what it means to grow. And when we're growing, we are going. And watch this, this is the uh, other side of the double-edged sword. When we go, we will grow. You can't go and, and become vulnerable for the Lord to try to move into an eternal realm or to tell the truth or to love people of your own initiative and your own power. 
It literally takes the heart and the power of God to motivate us and to move us to do that. And so even as going, we're growing. And that's the beauty of the way that God set it up. So I want you to hear, hear me say something very important today. I'm not looking, even though I was uh, joking at the beginning that we're trying to increase our viewership, I'm not trying to increase our viewership. I'm trying to increase our awareness of the Most High God. I'm trying to make sure that we go deep and get discipled. If we can truly lean into the Lord, if we can grow in His ways and function in such a way that uh, His life radiates through us, we will be transformed and we will transform our community. That's what I'm about. I want to invite you not to join a church, not to attend a service. I want to invite you to step into discipleship. I want to ask you to go deep. Friends, whatever you do in this message right now, would you make sure that, I, I mean, I don't care if you click something, email, phone call, call somebody, reach out and make sure that you aren't going to stay the same after this message as you were before it. Talk to somebody about what it really means to grow in Christ, what it really means to be set up for eternal life. What's the difference between drinking a bucket of water from the well and being able to have the Lord God be able to give you eternal life? And so that's the course that we want to be on. And at Redeem, we are so committed to being able to help you unpack your stuff. And in doing so, this is what we ask of you, that as you're getting healthy, as we invest in your life, we're just wanting you to do the same for us and for others. Would you help us unpack our stuff? Would you help us to grow in Christ-likeness? Would you help us to make sure that we're going instead of being reclusive? Would you help us to be one of the most relevant churches in a time of the greatest need. And that's what it means to us to be a great church. Just God bless you in your effort. Uh, again, make sure that you reach out and that you talk to somebody. Give us a, a call. Go on our website. But friends, please don't stay the same. God bless you.